0: Welcome into the first episode of Turning the Corner, a podcast exclusively dedicated to the Detroit Tigers. I am Kieran Steckley. My co-pilot on this venture is Cody Stavenhagen, who, as we speak, is catching rays down in Lakeland, Florida. Cody, how you doing? Are you ready to get going?
1: Hey, I'm doing good.
0: Yeah, episode one. I'm excited. So Cody and I go way back to our college days. And you know, as an athletic subscriber myself, I realized Cody was the only one among his Detroit colleagues who did not have a podcast. Chris, James, Max, they do excellent work on the Lions, Pistons, and Red Wings, both with their writing and their pods. And Cody does a great job on the Tigers beat, so I knew he would excel at this too. And also, while we were both sports media students at Oklahoma State, there wasn't really anything in the field Cody and I didn't partake in together. So I thought it was only natural that we team up for this podcast. So Cody, why don't you tell our listeners a little about yourself? I think it is well established in Tigerland that you are, like me, from Texas.
1: Um, Yeah, I'm I'm Cody Stavenhagen. Uh, Down here in Lakeland, Florida right now, about to start my third season covering the Tigers. Um, Yeah, I I was born and raised in Amarillo, Texas. I went to school with Kieran at Oklahoma State. You might ask, why are these guys talking about the Tigers? Well, Kieran's dad, interestingly enough, is uh, from Michigan, just outside Metro Detroit. Grew up going to Tiger Stadium. Uh, Kieran, Kieran's followed the Tigers his whole life, and I got a job covering the Detroit Tigers. So um, that's, that, that's our tie. Now we're kind of ingrained in the thick of this thing. Yes,
0: and probably the most interesting factoid with my Tigers fandom is my father in Franklin, Michigan was Neighbors with Al Kaline and in addition to that he was Al Kaline's paperboy so for people of a certain generation you could probably imagine being 9, 10, 11 years old or whatever and being like Mr. Kaline it will be 375 for this week's Detroit News or Detroit Free Press. I actually don't remember which newspaper he did <laughs> but but I actually wore number 6 And like T ball and all that stuff. I I didn't pick the number. My dad just gave it to me. And it was because of Al K line. And because my father is a certain type of guy, I actually had a wood bat in T ball. And it was a Cecil Fielder, like signature model bat. Like it had his name on it a T ball bat. And it was a wood bat. I had a wood bat in T ball. And it had a Detroit Tigers. This was out in California. It had it had a Detroit Tigers uh, uh, namesake on it, so deeply connected. Always, always rooting for them. Always followed them. It was pretty bad when I was really young. Then it got pretty dang good, and now we're now we're back into the valley of uh, of Major League Baseball fandom. But the hope is that they will eventually turn the corner, and that is the name of this podcast. So I hope you guys enjoy it. We're gonna have a lot of fun doing it. We'll start small and grow as we get as we uh, continue on here. But I'm excited. I know Cody's excited. So why don't we just kind of dive right in? One of the, Let's do it. one of the things that I thought when we were doing this is you want to be able to distinguish y- yourself in the market of podcasts writing any of that stuff and that's what the athletic is right the athletic is a news organization that like you're not writing a gamer 162 times a year you're going deep into stories and people and trying to give people a reason to subscribe not like the online free stuff so we're not charging anybody obviously but i wanted this podcast to kind of mirror what the athletic does, and so I thought a great first topic would be the Detroit Tigers pitching coach, who, coincidentally, you know decently well because of something you did even before he became the pitching coach of the Detroit Tigers. So why don't you kind of, can you kind of give us a bio of, of uh, Chris Fetter and, and and what, where he was, where he came from. And how he got to Detroit, and because I think you probably know it better than anybody else.
1: Yeah, I, I think, uh, I mean, Chris is a super interesting guy. It was last winter. Um, those of you who, who know much about Chris Fetter, he interviewed with uh, the Yankees, he got a call from the Diamondbacks, he interviewed with the Giants last year. Um, he had MLB teams, you know, calling him up constantly, wanting him to interview to be their pitching coach. Um, he never quite had an official offer, but my understanding is one of the reasons he didn't have an official offer is because he was pretty committed to staying at the University of Michigan, where he had just helped the Wolverines get to the College World Series, really built up a pitching staff, um, and only a couple of years there, but people were raving about what a difference he made there, and that was his alma mater, he's a former Michigan player, actually their all-time um, innings leader, you know, he got drafted, played a couple years I think in the Padres organization, kind of topped out as a player, realized He was best at analyzing the game. He was best at teaching the game, best at becoming a coach. So I kind of had the idea of, like, why is this guy still here? You know, this guy could have any pitching coach job he wanted, it seems like. And um, so I called up the folks at Michigan. I said, hey, can I come write a story about this? And you never really know, you know, if people are going to say yes or no. But they said, yeah, come on. And, you know, it turns out I spent um, a couple hours just hanging out with Chris Fetter. We talked about baseball. We talked about pitching. We talked about his journey I kind of sat in on uh, one of their indoor workouts. It was right before a snowstorm hits Ann Arbor. Makes you appreciate. Um, tough place to run a good baseball program, but but Federer and Eric Bakich did that quite well. So I got to sit, on, sit in on a whole workout um, and wrote this story about why he stayed at Michigan. In that story, he kind of made clear that he wasn't looking to leave. He wasn't looking for a job, but he admitted... The big leagues, that's still kind of an itch I want to scratch, you know. This was a this was a player that was a dream. Um, stay in touch with Chris Feder a little bit because he's a really nice guy. And sure enough, when the Tigers, uh, you know, when Ron Gardenhire retired, it became pretty clear the Tigers were probably going to hire a new pitching coach. Um, when A.J. Hinge's name started entering the conversation, some light bulbs started going off because Hinge was in the Padres organization as the VP of Pro Scouting. When Federer was playing in the minor leagues, he, uh, you know, was basically one who advocated for Federer to become a coach. He sent him to scout school, I think. AJ Hinch and Chris Federer were very tight. Sure enough, Chris Federer was AJ Hinch's number one choice to be the pitching coach, and this time the opportunity, the timing, you know, he was already living nearby. It was, it was too good to pass up. So that's how the Tigers got this guy, who's one of the the brightest young minds in baseball,
0: and sort of the quintessential coach fast riser right i mean it was was you said the diamondback kind of said hey what do you think and he was like no 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 then basically any team that had a major league baseball team that had an opening gave him a ring or shot him a text or you know whatever you know the method was uh, of doing so and how do you think he processed that because he ended up taking a job not too much longer after after getting all that interest and let's be honest it's not the, it's not the sexy job. He got the Yankees on the on the line, and yeah. he had to tell them no. And a short time later, the Detroit Tigers, coming off a string of a loss-ridden season, and it's the Yankees. So, and he's not from Michigan. Like he is a Michigan man, but it's my understanding he's not from Michigan. So from Indiana. How do you think he processed all that to where he finally said okay?
1: Yeah, I you know, I remember that kind of that first I don't even think um twenty nineteen was the first time he had, you know, got calls from big league teams. And he had worked I mean, this guy was worked in player development with the Dodgers. That's where he gained a lot of his knowledge of the Dodgers, a cutting edge organization. He learned a lot about technology pitch shaping pitch design and analytics in that organization you know but he got this college job in Michigan it was his alma mater he was the pitching coach it was a great gig. He said 2019 that that year was kind of a whirlwind because he went to the College World Series and then kind of as soon as that run ended he you know a couple months later he's getting all these calls. Um, he had a baby at home at the same time he kind of had to make all these decisions you know and he's a college coach I'm sure he was out recruiting and, and stuff like that. He had to make a lot of decisions in a tough amount of time. Um, I remember talking to Jeff Criswell, who, who was a Michigan pitcher, now I think in the A's organization, and I was like, what did you guys make, when you knew, make of it when you knew your coach was, you know, in New York interviewing with the Yankees? And he was like, yeah, he did a good job of being straight up with us, telling us, and we were like, you know, we don't blame him. We're not going to, you know, be mad at the guy for going to be Garrett Cole's pitching coach is what he said. Obviously those opportunities – Weren't right for, for Fetter. I f- think he felt it wasn't quite the right time. But funny how much can change in a year. You know, college baseball got shut down. He, he didn't really have a season. I think Michigan played, I don't know, just a handful of games last year. Um, and then his boy, and A.J. Hinch, gets a job to be the Tigers manager. You know, he gets a ring again. I mean, he had texted A.J. the, the day he interviewed and kind of said, hey, good luck, and, and pretty quickly A.J. expressed that, hey, if I get this, like, you want to be my pitching coach. Um, I think the opportunity just made sense. Yeah, the Tigers were bad. They had the worst ERA in baseball last year. But you also have Casey Mize, Matt Manning, Tarek Skubel, and others, some pretty stud pitchers rising through this system. He'll get a chance to probably have a lot of say, make a big imprint on this organization, maybe more than he would have in New York or at San Francisco or somewhere else. He can kind of be the guy and, and, and be in charge of um, – leading this pitching staff into the next generation.
0: You know, I've, I've always thought that one of the measurements of fandom is, like, could you name the team's pitching coach? Because yeah, it, they're totally. they're visible enough that if you're watching the games, you're going to see them a handful of times, go out to the mound, mound visit, stuff like that. Uh, but for the Tigers, I've always thought they – in this rebuild they invested heavily in arms and as we get closer to the draft in June they might invest in another arm that's something that will have to play out but they have gone arm centric in this rebuild I thought well, as soon as Hinch was hired that might be his most important hire is who is he going to have as the pitching coach so based on what you know with the work he did at Michigan how much of that do you think may makes him because i i don't want to speak for you i think he's a perfect hire but how much of what he did at michigan with the analytics with the tracking with the heavy use of technology and all this stuff if you really want to deep dive you have to check out cody's story because there is no stone unturned and it also illustrates better's impact and sort of making the program use the technology because there's a little anecdote about how they they had it, but they just kind of used it as a space filler. <laughs> the
1: track man was in the in a bathroom, you know, it was in a closet.
0: And so that was that was his early impact there. So there's a the Tigers are more advanced than that, obviously, but there's an element of they have the technology, they have the information, and I and you put this in the story, so what do you do with it? So what are all the reasons why Fedder would be the perfect pitching coach for the Tigers based on how he approaches coaching pitchers
1: yeah i think the situation he's inheriting with the tigers is a lot like the one he inherited at michigan for the past couple years the tigers have rap soda machines they you know they give players packets with the spin rates with the um, spin efficiency spin axes all that stuff they have this technology in house they use similar things for hitters um they have diamond kinetics, they have force plates in their, in their cage in Lakeland. They have all this technology. But as Chris Fetter told me back in 2019, pretty much everyone has this technology now. The, the great teams, the Dodgers, the Astros, the Braves, they're the ones who know how to use it, who know how to look at these numbers and decide. So for Chris Fetter, that, that means being able to look at these numbers, this data, and saying, here's how you best utilize your arsenal. We can go back to Jeff Criswell. Um, who completely reshaped his arsenal at Michigan. You know, I think he was uh, a four-seam curveball guy when he came there and he left a uh, two-seam sinker slider type guy. Based on that's how his stuff best played. Now, a guy like Tarek Skubel, you know, who can throw an upper 90s fastball, four-seam, that's going to play better high in the zone. That's going to pair well with a, a 12-6 curveball or something like that. And those aren't necessarily new concepts but now they're in ways to quantify all of this to get feedback is also big into biomechanics all right pitching starts with your foundation your legs your body he's able to identify um how how different guys everyone's body is a little different i mean I, if, if a guy has a deficiency in his right ankle that means you know he can get in the room and start training his right ankle um, and that can impact his delivery so it gets it gets really into the nitty-gritty but basically, Fetter should be the guy who's able to take this thing to the next level. He can help the Tigers use and master all this technology. The Tigers, fair or not, had a reputation for being more of an old-school team. Um, they've tried really hard in the Avila era to reverse that. You know, They've invested. They have a pretty bol- bolstered analytics department now. But were they really applying all that stuff You know, to the best of their ability? Probably not. I don't think that's a hot take to say no. Um, but now you have one of the the sharpest minds who's worked in one of the sharpest organizations running, running your pitching show. And I think that that's
0: huge. In basketball and in football, when coaches, even positionally, but the most noteworthy examples would be head coaches, they make the jump from college to the pro. There's a little bit of a, all right, you were dealing with kids. Now you're dealing with adults, men who have families, who have children, who make more money than you and there's a little bit of a acclamation period or like does his style translate? Is that a thing in baseball? Is that like, is that could that be a concern? And if so, maybe the fact that all these young guys, these young arms that we'll dive into more a little bit here, like maybe that could like negate it a little bit more, like like or or is it just not really much of a thing in baseball?
1: No, I think it's absolutely a thing. I mean, Jim Leland, you know, a legendary manager, um, I think always carried a little bit of insecurity is not the right word. I don't think Jim Leland's is insecure at all, but he felt he had to earn players' respect because he didn't play in the big leagues. You know, that that was something that was in his mind a lot. Jim Leland topped out as a double A catcher. And there's kind of this thing where, well, if you're Aaron Boone, you know, and you walk into the Yankees clubhouse, you have instant credibility. If you're some guy who topped in Double A, okay, why should you know? Why should Casey Myers listen to you? Um, that's a real thing. So Feder, you know, as much as he gets this reputation for being a numbers guy, kind of a techie guy, he's also really big on old school stuff like trust, like relationships. Um, there's some of that stuff in my story and, and subsequent things that have been written about him. You know, about how he, he was known for trusting these guys at Michigan and they were uh, more receptive to him and his methods as a result. Granted, that's probably easier to do when you're a college coach, when you're around these guys constantly, when you're recruiting them. At the pro level, I think even Chris Fetter has said this. If you want to tweak a guy's slider, if you want to tell him to ditch his curveball, it's not as simple as just saying, hey, man, like, let's think about this. Sometimes you have to run that up to the front office. Sometimes you have to call their agent, you know, so you're going to have bigger egos. Um, So that's a real thing. So far, the Tigers pitchers are raving about this guy. I think they can tell the difference and that he's uh, hands-on and and operating in a a more modern, probably even more detail-oriented fashion than Rick Anderson was. Players seem to really like him. Um, but that's going to be a little bit of a test over the course of this year because I, I think anyone will tell you coaching in the big leagues, it's it's different than being a college coach.
0: Well, for one, there's about four times more games.
1: That too, yeah, every day.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, the way they use arms and all that stuff. You're not just, th- you know, weekend series and you got your same three pitchers or whatever. I mean, it it literally is a whole new ball game. So you, you said that the current pitching staff so far and it is really early and there's only so much you can do in a covid time in terms of observation and talking to people but have kind of taken to him from what i've read and heard from Casey Mize he seems like a thinker he seems like a real thinker uh as a pitcher and everything he does is oh, yeah. is he alone yes. in that on tiger staff and and is he one of those kind of minds does he have one of those mindsets that would really mesh well with Federer, you think?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think Mize is, he's definitely a thinker, and these these young kids are coming up versed in the analytics. Mize, you know, worked with Soto and Trackman stuff at Auburn. His agency has its own facility um, where I think they basically have, like, a pitch design coach. So he was probably, he and Matt Boyd were probably as knowledgeable as anyone in the organization, and now you pair those guys up with Federer who, who basically, you know, uh, has a doctorate in this stuff, and it's pretty interesting. Um, you know, I think Matt Boyd's a thinker. I think Daniel Norris has never really been a big analytics guy, but he's uh, he's obviously a thinker, and he's starting to dive into the analytics. He went to driveline, all that good stuff this offseason. Um, but he talked about, hey, Chris Fetter sent him an email that just had, it was like a report, you know, on his pitching. It had um, notes about his mechanics. It had numbers. It had ideas on how he could – improve he sent him this email in like december seems like he did that for pretty much everyone on the staff he after he got hired he started watching video crunching the numbers um, chatting these guys up giving them calls he's talked a lot with Tarek skuble they seem to mesh really well the idea of pairing minds with such a like mind is certainly interesting Uh, I don't want to be too controversial, but I almost wonder, like, could they clash at some point? Are they almost, like, too much alike, especially if Mize gets deep in his career and is a Cy Young winner? But I think if you're talking about developing these young arms, figuring out, okay, how do we help Casey command his splitter better? How do we maximize his fastball? How often should he use his cutter? Like, there's no one, you know, very few people in the game who um, would be better to advise and guide him in that quest Then chris fetter so far it seems like mice has, has really enjoyed just getting to talk with someone who thinks about pitching in the same way he does and i think that goes for for several of these guys on the staff and for the guys who don't think like that like michael former does not care about analytics but he's admitted i'm starting to get into it you know if i want to get back in the rotation i have to dig into it who better to to learn that from than chris fetter so i think you can see how it's going to impact different guys in different ways Um, and in in theory, it could all be positive.
0: We'll talk about this a lot when we break down the roster in in further episodes, but there's a lot of guys on this team that are kind of on their last leg in order to determine whether they're big leaguers or not. And to be honest, we thought we were going to have that conversation last year, and in some ways we did, but shortened season everything that was going on the pandemic like it, it it was kind of hard to draw like conclusions there but i think this year is the year especially with the new regime in there they come in fresh with fresh ideas and they don't have for lack of a better term like an emotional connection to uh players they've seen for years or helped develop or or whatever on the pitching staff who is the guy that should become Fetter's best friend because that's gonna highly increase his chances of sticking as a major leaguer not necessarily being like a top end starter or closer or whatever but like he like they know they're on their last leg and they need fetter on their side
1: well you're deal you're taking over the uh the worst pitching staff in baseball era wise so I would say probably all of them because of- other than spencer turnbull is probably the only guy who had a good year i would say um but in terms of like the most interesting i'd probably say joe jimenez like this is a guy who was supposed to be the closer of the future once upon a time who's been an all-star oddly enough and has really struggled since that 2018 all-star break or he's been up and down it's weird to think i don't think he allowed a run in like his last 10 innings last year actually finished really strong but his era was was still astronomical um, there's something in that arm. He, he can throw gas. He has stuff. But he has struggled to put it together at the major league level. Um, he's not the closer anymore. The Tigers don't have a closer right now, but I think the chances of him beginning the season as the closer are probably slim. Um, the Tiger, He's one of those guys. At some point, the Tigers are going to have to either figure out what they got or they're going to have to move on um he's had a longer leash than most given his his potential but i think that's one of the most interesting guys like is there still talent there you could say the same about matt boyd who had a great start in 2018 a great start in 2019 was bad in the second half of both those seasons and was pretty terrible last year he's got such good stuff with that slider when his fastball's on and he locates it well he's he's efficient high strikeout guy um He's making $6 million in arbitration now. You know, a year ago we were like, should the Tigers extend Matt Boyd? Now it's like, is Matt Boyd going to get DFA'd? You know, and uh, it, it, it all makes for an interesting conversation. I think those are two guys right there that I'll be interested to see if Fetter can bring some more consistency out of them.
0: This may be not specific to Fetter, but let's expand on the bullpen a little bit. You mentioned it with Jimenez, and we can bring A.J. Hinch's philosophies into here what are what was aj hinch envision as a as a as a bullpen role basis so he said he's going to have a closer but the closer's not always going to have the last three outs does that mean it's more of a stopper guy that they just put in crucial situations do we are we beyond closers now because i thought we were getting that way and now everyone wants to name a closer i'm saying we as in baseball in general like, the, like, we were told for years that saves and closers and all this stuff, like, that's something that maybe fans cling to that isn't actually as a part of a major league organizational flowchart. But here we are talking about that term, closer. Like, how are the Tigers going to kind of figure that out especially with these young arms that Federer's gonna you know we didn't mention we haven't mentioned gregory soto yet yeah. that's got to be one of one of his more intriguing projects as well
1: when aj hinch gets asked a question it's like in his daily press conferences he's so thoughtful he's so insightful almost everything he says can be a story so just asking hey are you gonna have a closer turns into kind of him sharing his whole bullpen philosophy um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think you, you pretty much recapped what he said pretty well. I think there's still some psychological element where players want to know their roles. I think that's one of the reasons we still have closers and set up guys, even when you know, even the Dodgers and stuff like that. Now, what Hinch basically says is I want to have a closer. I want a guy who, when he comes in in the ninth, the whole ballpark starts thinking, okay, we're going to win, but he makes a good point, especially when you have a bad team or a young pitching staff sometimes maybe that most important inning is the seventh inning maybe you need a stopper so i think hinch will use whoever the closer ends up being mostly in the ninth but he was saying look i might use the closer in the seventh sometimes if that's what the game calls for that doesn't mean he's not a closer it doesn't mean we have to call him a stopper um So that's kind of how he sees it. And he even said, your goal is to have a bullpen so good that then you can really pin everyone into these more narrow roles, especially when you're trying to build a bullpen. You have to be a little bit more flexible. We've seen A.J. Hinch use his bullpen creatively in the postseason, specifically in the 2017 World Series. Um, So, you know, he's always kind of had a closer, but he has a history of being a little bit creative too, and I think we'll see some of that this year.
0: A little bit off the wall, is Chris Fetter a towering presence six foot eight does that is that is that kind of like there's not that many pitchers that get that get that tall you start thinking about randy johnson and you know chris young and all that stuff but six foot eight i mean that's a presence
1: chris fetter's six eight he's he's a tall cat but uh he's, he's got that lanky build where the arms kind of drag behind him too so i don't think he uh i don't think he looks like randy johnson on the mound uh would i want to face him no but he's he's <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't want to make Chris mad, but he's, you know, he's got, he's got almost a, a goofy build. Like he never quite filled out that frame, you know, more than anything.
0: Okay. So I don't know if you've even been able to see see any of this, but have you been able to, even from afar sort of like catch him in his natural environment, which is, you know, working with the guys on the mound? Like, have you been able to see any of that in this spring training?
1: Yeah, a little bit. This, this spring really has been tough given the COVID protocols. The media is stationed pretty far away from these backfields. We're pretty much looking at everything through binoculars. Uh, we're not really allowed to roam around, so you can kind of only see one field at a time. The Tigers have four fields in their Lakeland complex um, that, are, that are most primarily used, and it's impossible to see all four at once with the way things are this year. So not quite as much insight as we would get in a normal year. Um, we weren't allowed in for the early season bullpens when his, he was probably doing his most work. Uh, but we did see him throw, like, he's basically having sessions in the morning that are voluntary. If, if pitcher wants to come and work on a specific mechanical thing, or I don't know, maybe, obviously they're being careful with guys' arms, but a little extra work on their changeup or something. He's doing that. We saw Michael Former go out and do that one morning, and they, they chatted it up quite a bit, um, just kind of working through Former's mechanics um when guys are throwing these live batting pra- practice sessions Fetters usually back there behind an L screen and he's charting everything that happens you can see him writing stuff down he usually chats up the guys you know after their sessions over um, but i think he, he laid a lot of that groundwork in the off season with these emails with these calls he sent a big report to Al Avila saying here's a plan for all of our pitchers uh seemed like Al was pretty blown away by that so he's been in in contact with these guys and working on them with stuff for a long time a lot of it's probably a a little more behind the scenes and like in michigan uh he had like a meditation setting for for his pitchers every day and they had classroom topics he built powerpoint slides and stuff to walk them through this is what your rap data means this is what spin axis is this is what gyro spin is stuff like that. So I think he does some classroom work too. It's so it's kind of interesting how not everything happens on the field. Some of the most important stuff happens behind closed doors.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm not trying to be disrespectful to anyone who like is a proponent of mediation or meditation, I should say. But but that was what sparked <laughs> my whole college versus the pro thing. Like I is like that I could easily <laughs> see someone who's got 20 million dollars in the bank being like I'm not going to sit and like cross my legs and you know I I just give me the baseball and let me throw. So like maybe I'm wrong there, but I thought if there if there was some, that could have been it, something. It, I don't it, know. It, it
1: helps it it helps when Daniel Norris is on your pitching staff. Should be <laughs> should be an easy sell. There are a couple if Jordan Zimmer, Zimmerman Zimmerman were, were still around, he might uh you know, he might miss some of those early morning meetings, but I think a lot of these guys on this current staff are are pretty into stuff like that. I mean, pitchers well-known in baseball pitchers tend to be weird they tend to be in their own heads a little bit uh there are several guys on this staff that i could see digging the meditation
0: if it works it works i mean no no one's gonna care if uh if, if if it ends up working out well but it'd be one of those things where it's like you know a guy a couple bud lights deep in the stands you know if they're fans there you know casey mize gives up another home run because his cutter ain't cutting and it's like, well, maybe you should have thought of that while he was sitting, you know, sitting down and listening. Uh, he got oh, yeah. some incense, you know, in the dugout or whatever. You know, it's just one of those <laughs> things. Because sports, sports and psychology mesh a lot, but there's also a lot of there's a lot of uh, opportunities there for it to be uh, not a great relationship. So I, I don't want to go too much into the pictures because that's something we'll expand upon, you know, at a different time. I wanted to keep this. You know, mainly fedder related, but it, it's it's hard to it, it's hard to separate it because it's one of those things. It'd be the same thing as like tied to a different Detroit sport. Jared Goff, new Detroit Lions quarterback, when he was with the Rams, they hired Sean McVay to be head coach, and Sean McVay's job was to make Jared Goff the number one pick in the draft. He didn't really look good as a rookie. Into a good quarterback, and that was going to be basically no matter what else happened, that was going to be the thing that determined whether Sean McVay was a success. And you know what? To his credit, he became so success successful that he's able to get rid of golf. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's that's the ultimate: is when you can pass your test and then go go get something better you like. But we won't know the answer to these down the road, but. For the hires that Hinch made, where would you rank? Let's rank the the other coaching staff members in terms of importance and 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 profile and things that they can bring. And because, like I said, I, I said Fetter is the best or the most important, but I don't want to diminish the other hires.
1: Right. Um. Yeah, a ranking's gonna be hard because that means someone comes in last and someone's not gonna like me very much. Someone's gonna this, be offended. But, uh, Rather than like a straight ranking, I mean, you can't talk about this staff without talking about George Lombard, the new bench coach, um, former first base coach for the Dodgers. He interviewed for the Tigers manager job. His interview was very impressive. Um, he obviously wasn't hired, they went with A.J. Hinch. But George Lombard, a, uh, a really bright mind, another guy who had a, a cup of coffee with the Tigers as a player. Um, number one, tremendous athlete. This guy was once uh, committed to Georgia as a running back. Probably could have played in the NFL had he not gotten the baseball route, and he still looks like a running back out there. I mean, he's he's built, but he's also a very smart guy. He's into the analytics. He's already been handing out outfielders detailed packets with information on their positioning. Uh, Jacoby Jones you know, said recently that it's been just a whole new level of detail in terms of pre-pitch preparation and things like that. So Lombard is also he's, he's in charge of the outfielders um his impact i think has already been felt a lot you can hear him chirping during these workouts he's active and energetic kind of talking some trash to his outfielders um he's a guy that i worry may only be around one year uh, because he's, he's going to get a manager job at some point maybe soon um george lombard's a future manager he's going to have a a huge impact the other guys are all good hires chip hale is an experienced guy he's going to be your third base coach do some work with infielders Uh, Scott Kuba has worked in a lot of different organizations as your hitting coach. We've talked about pitching this whole time and not brought up Juan Nieves, who is a former big league pitching coach. He's the AAA guy. He's going to be Chris Fetter's assistant. He's going to get a lot of work in. He's a Spanish speaker, so he'll probably work heavily with guys like Gregory Soto. Um, And then Josh Paul and Ramon Santiago are holdovers from Ron Gardenhire's staff. Both smart, bright guys. Maybe the most interesting hire, Jose Cruz Jr., who's, um, I, th- I think his title is just like assistant coach. He's going to work primarily with the hitters, but he's going to do a little bit of everything. A former player doesn't really have coaching experience, so he's going to come in with kind of this whole new perspective. Um, and And it seems like he's going to kind of be groomed to become, you know um, – coach as much as anything but there's a lot of energy a lot of bright minds on this staff I, i'm sure their meetings are fun to sit in on aj hinch even said once look my guys are are baseball 24 7 and they're in there arguing right now about you know relays and cutoffs um and and that seems like the type of dudes these are these guys are
0: jose cruz i'm, I'm on the uh, detroit tigers website right now jose cruz his title is just major league coach
1: major league coach that's right yeah he's 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 there to do whatever he's gonna work primarily with hitters he's gonna work with infielders but he's a player man he's a former player I, i think he's gonna be talking with everyone giving them little tips here and there it's it's uh it'll be kind of an interesting role for sure
0: what's kind of the hierarchy of the coaches that like is the assistant pitching coach under Fedder or is he like under Hinch or like how, how, what's sort of like the who reports to who like how does that kind of work in a major league coaching staff
1: that's a good question I, I would envision it's probably a little bit different everywhere uh, the way Hinch kind of framed it I think he wants Feder and Nieves to kind of function as one and they have you know different backgrounds Fetter's the young guy into the analytics Nieves is a is a veteran. He's been the pitching coach for the Marlins and and elsewhere. Um, again, Spanish speaker. So it's he's not he's going to be different than a bullpen coach. You know, a bullpen coach sits in the bullpen, works primarily with relievers. He's an assistant pitching coach. The way AJ Hinch wants him to function is they kind of work in tandem on everything. Obviously, fetters the bigger name, he's going to get more attention, but I think Nieves will be pretty hands-on with everyone. Uh, so I would say you know they both they both report to AJ Hinch um, as, as much as anything. I'm sure on some staffs it's it's maybe a little bit different.
0: You haven't been in Lakeland all that long, but we'll kind of wrap this up by just any sort of notes and anecdotes or uh, observations that you can make from uh, from the pitchers. We'll stick with the pitchers and and just sort. Of, I know I, you have written some of this. Joey Wentz is one that people have been talking about, um, but The pitchers are the story of the Tigers until they get more bats uh, near major league level. So what what have some your early impressions been?
1: Yeah, unfortunately, like last year, you could see so much. You could get right up there with their bullpens. It just hasn't been quite the same this year. So a lot of those nuggets, those observations um, aren't as good. But, you know, you got to stick with the young guys. Matt Manning. Uh, Through a really nice bullpen today, I, I didn't really get to see all of it because he was like far away on this backfield. and uh, but you know he said he felt really good about it. AJ Hinch was impressed with the bullpen. He uh, he was facing Miguel Cabrera. Miguel Cabrera told him bueno um, at the end of two different bullpens he's thrown or live BPs. Um, he's an interesting guy. You know, spring training we love to talk about new pitches. Well, he's working on. Um, kind of a harder breaking ball, like a slider, to pair with this this hammer curve he already has. He says he's been throwing that as much as that curve, and he's pretty pleased. So I'll be interested to see that pitch more. Tarek Scubel, he's talked about adding a splitter. You know, he got some attention for that saying. And I asked him, I was like, so if, like Daniel Norris kind of grips his changeup with a split grip. He doesn't call it a splitter. It doesn't really have that diving action of a Casey Mize splitter. And so I asked Scubel like is this a splitter splitter, or are you just like holding your change up with your fingers spread out a little bit? And he's like, no, I want I want it to be that splitter. I want it to dive and fade like Mises. Um, I watched Scoople throw today, which it's it's, uh, it's Saturday, February 27th right now. Honestly, it was the worst I've ever seen him throw. He was way off with fastball command. I think he threw a couple splitters that uh, I don't think he spotted. He did throw one filthy breaking ball that, that got Riley Green to swing and miss. Um, so I'll be interested. I don't know if he was tweaking something or what caused his command to be off like that. Uh, then again, it's just, you know, it's a live BP. You definitely can't stake too much onto that. Um, Franklin Perez hasn't thrown a live session yet, but he's an interesting guy to watch in spring. He's, he's, uh, had some intake issues getting into camp. So he's a few days behind, but he's going to be a guy I'm watching super closely you know and, and you can make similar observations on all these guys but i think scuba and manning with their new pitches uh are definitely interesting guys to watch right now
0: how much and this is sort of like a psa for anyone who's reading the spring draining reports or watching the games how much do we sort of have to take a step back where it's like let's say manning's trying out that new pitch and it's it's getting hammered like it, it like or or it, it's not even close to the zone it's easy to to spot from the hitter and they're not they're not biting and you know same thing with guys at the plate and maybe people playing out of position in the field like but for the pitcher specifically i guess like how much should we sort of avoid the avoid the temptation to go on twitter and say oh my god My's bust. mys bust. He's didn't do anything over the off season. He didn't look good last (laughs) last year. You know, like like how much of that happens in spring training to where we gotta like like I said, take a step back and be like, look, they're working on something, they're not necessarily looking to have the best ERA right now.
1: Yeah, big time. I mean, it's like on the hitting side of it, like there's some scouts who refuse to even watch batting practice because it can influence your perception. Guess what? Taking BP is way different than facing ninety five in the box. So, the, the, you know, there's some scouts that love to watch BP, watch guys go through their routines, see how they work. There's some guys who refuse to even lay an eye on it because they think it will color their perception of a player based on something that doesn't really matter. That's pretty important when it comes to, like, spring training bullpens. Um, I think you can tell when a guy has good stuff. You can tell if a guy's curveball is working or not. But, okay, you're also throwing 30 pitches, like, it's uh, not a full workload. You know, AJ Hinch said this week uh, someone asked him about like guys who were on the verge of, you know, on the edge of making the team. Derek Holland, guys like that, like, how important are spring training games? And it's like, well, obviously you want them to pitch well, but he's like, you're not going to make or not make the team based on your first spring training outing. These guys are still getting up to speed, they're still getting up 100%. Um, how they pitch now. Probably not really much of a reflection on how they're going to pitch in August. So again, you know, I think you you can take things away from it. They're important. You have to do it. You have to pay attention. But yeah, uh, because Terek Scubel like walked a few batters in live BP today. I doesn't think that I don't think that means it's time to sell your Tarek Scubel stock by any means. Yeah, at all.
0: very very well put. All right, so I got some Chris Fetter nuggets. I was doing some research, and I don't know if you. I don't remember if you asked him about this for his uh, for the profile you wrote or if it's come up again, but he claims. We said, talked about him being six foot eight. He claims to have blocked Greg Oden in high school. That's right. Yeah. Is there evidence of this? Does it exist? Did it happen?
1: <laughs> I have not seen it on video. Uh, that I think that was a story in the Free Press where that anecdote came out. I actually didn't know that. He's never he's never told that to me. So. I don't know. I, you know, uh, I wouldn't paint him to be a liar. I'm gonna assume it happens. Is there
0: a Zabruder film out there?
1: We'll see. I, you know, because I mean,
0: yeah. you know he's a Michigan, Michigan man, Michigan man. A lot of Tigers fans, obviously, University of Michigan fans. It's an Ohio State guy, like that. That's maybe the marketing team needs to dig up this video. Ooh, I like that, and idea. you could probably sell a handful of tickets that way uh, during Michigan. They do college days at Comerica Park. They do, they do college days, oh, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, the Michigan. Uh-huh. Play that on the video board for the Michigan Day. People
1: would like it. The people would like it. If anyone's listening to this, there's an idea. If anyone has a video, send it my way. I can share it. Let's let's see. I think we gotta find this footage.
0: We are doing the Tigers marketing job for him here, and we've only been doing this for a total of about forty-five minutes. We're gonna have some. Also, other good apparently, ideas. apparently, his nickname is Cheese. I'm not a huge fan of that nickname. Uh, yeah, because Fetter well, let coming me-
1: from Feta, I'm not, I, I, I yeah. don't like it.
0: Well, by the way, actually, let me rephrase. I would like that nickname if it was because, like, in high school or in college or whatever, his like pitches were filthy, and it's like you just make you know you make the batter look foolish, you know, say cheese or something I like think that. That's part of the it whole too, yeah. better like I not a big fan. One of the things that we will do on this podcast is we will sort of dismiss bad nicknames. And and that's the first one. we're we're not doing oh, of course. we're not doing cheese <laughs> for the pitching coach. We're also not gonna do the Bash Brothers for Torgelson and Green. We're not doing that. That's no, a little tease no. for something we got coming up. But we're not we're not we're not. And the Van Man's retired now. Like we will dissect for you bad nicknames. We'll tell you if they're bad or not. And if they're great, we're gonna tell you that they're great.
1: <laughs>
0: well that's about, I think, we've we've gone pretty deep into, into Federer and his philosophies. You can read about this more. Like I'll plug it once again. You just kind of Google his name with The Athletic. That story comes up. If you're a subscriber, you can read it. If you're not a subscriber, you should go ahead and subscribe because it is the best sports journalism out there. And it's not just for tigers or even all detroit sports it's nationwide all the national guys your colleagues on uh that do national uh national stories are breaking news all the time like it, it is a it is a big big network of the best sports journalists out there so i, I cannot recommend it enough uh this has been a lot of fun cody i hope you've had fun doing it i've had a lot of fun and we will be churning out episodes we're going to try to do once a week I think is our goal once a week Sunday night record Monday be up on all the platforms that you listen to podcasts and and if we if we decide that we can we can do more than that then we will because uh, I I'm very very excited to to go down this venture with you and talk tigers and and see where where they go and whether they will turn the corner.
1: <laughs> well said Kieran, well said. Yeah, it's going to be fun getting this thing off the ground. We'll eventually have some guests on, maybe take some questions on Twitter, stuff like that. So hope you keep following us. A lot a lot of good stuff's coming.
0: Turning the Corner is a Detroit Tigers podcast where the Athletics' Cody Stavenhagen and co-host Kieran Steckley go deep into all topics regarding the All-English D-Ball Club. Graphic courtesy of Casey Stavenhagen.